Good morning, and welcome to Silverdale Lutheran Church. Wait, this isn't Silverdale Lutheran Church. Well, you're right, it's my front door. It isn't the place that we gather for worship normally, and I don't know about you, but I am anxious to gather there as soon as possible again. But uh, this is kind of how we're doing church and worship today and in these times. And so, um, and really, our building never was the church. It was just the place we gather. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church together. You may remember that song from Sunday school years ago. Well, today I welcome you to gather in your homes, whatever that space might look like. You may be gathering as a family of one in a care facility or an apartment. You may be gathering as a large family uh, in your home, whatever that gathering place might be. In fact, I know someone halfway across the world who will be joining us for worship gathered in some kind of a barracks somewhere. But uh, however we gather, we are the church. We are connected by God's spirit. And actually, in the early church, this was how they gathered. They gathered in one another's homes. They didn't have large spaces to gather like we do. But until the time that we're able to gather again, I invite you to gather around uh, a special place in your home. Uh, put the, the computer on and join us for a Facebook watch party or on YouTube or whatever way you can together with us and know again that we are connected by God's Spirit. You'll note for today that a few of our elements of worship were actually uh, filmed in our worship space very early this week before the stay home, stay safe order came out from our governor. And we don't know exactly how that's going to evolve in the next few weeks, but we're going to stay on top of that and make sure that we are being uh, safe as we're preparing a meaningful worship for you and for us. All right, why don't you follow me inside and we'll prepare some sacred space for our worship today. Let's go. Well, I told a little bit of a fib. I didn't actually go inside. We're outside in my backyard where you're going to hear the sermon today and the children's sermon as well. But I did want to prepare these elements that we'll need for worship this day. Now, you don't need anything but you for worship today, of course. But you might put a bowl or a cup with some water in it just to remember your baptism as we begin today. I encourage you also to grab a Bible. Today we'll be in Ezekiel 37 and John chapter 11. You might also grab a cross or some flowers, incense, anything that you have uh, to uh, serve as a reminder that Christ is present with you and with me and with all of us today. And lastly, and just for today, um, I want you to grab something that makes noise. <laughs> now I have some keys here, but anything will work. And I'll talk about that during the children's time. But for now, let's just center ourselves with a deep breath <sighs> and the sign of the cross on our foreheads, either on our own or on someone else, if you're comfortable with that. And we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The season of Lent is indeed a time to reflect on our need for God's grace, our need for wholeness, our need for restoration in our relationships, our need for God's presence in our lives, and obviously in this time, our need for God's strength and grace and peace. So please join me in a few moments of silence as we come before God and prepare our hearts and minds for worship.
Christ you lead and we shall follow stumbling for steps kids it's time for the children's sermon so if you're not in the room right now come on in gather around we'd love to have you be part of this next piece well here i'm standing in a place where there are lots of trees trees all around me trees behind me one with a little piece of corn there to feed the squirrels <laughs> maybe not the best idea but at any rate all these trees are gathered together and they make a beautiful forest they're connected to one another in fact we know through some scientific studies that the roots of trees are actually connected to one another and they share, they'll share nutrients back and forth. They'll take care of each other. In a sense, these trees are kind of like God's people gathered uh, in a land of their own, given that promised land to flourish and to care for one another and to be a sign of what it means to be God's people. That was a pretty cool thing. But at a certain point in their life, they felt very cut off. They felt less like trees and a little bit more like something I've got over here. It felt like maybe a little bit like this board right here. Like a like a dry piece of wood. Nothing really connected to it. It's just kind of on its own. It's just out here. They felt disconnected. They felt like dry bones in the desert and um Ezekiel has this vision, and we're going to hear about it a little bit. He has this vision, and a vision is kind of like a dream that's so real because you just know that it's God who's speaking to you. And he has this wonderful dream, and it's about, um, it's a dream where Ezekiel goes to this, this place, and there are all these dry bones just kind of lying there. But uh, God's word begins to speak to those bones, and, 
and God's word speaks through Ezekiel and he commands Ezekiel to tell those bones to to rise up and they start to rattle and they start to connect to one another and they eventually start to get skin and bones on them kind of like the bark and the leaves of these trees and and they start to come together again but they're just sitting there kind of like this kind of like this stick I'm holding this uh, two by four I'm holding they're not connected anymore and God says to Ezekiel Speak to the wind, speak to the breath, that breath of God that we remember in creation. Remember when God breathes into the dust and creates the first human being, creates Adam out of that dust and gives him life. And that's what God does in this vision to all of these just kind of lumps of people that are lying around. It breathes life into them. And God says, that's what it's going to be like. I'm going to breathe my life into you. Now, God's people were taken away from their homes. They're kind of in the opposite situation that we are now. They were taken out of their homes, not told to stay home and stay safe. They were taken out of their homes and taken to a place they didn't want to go. They didn't have any choice in it, kind of like we don't have much choice right now. And they were scared and they were afraid and they were alone and they felt very disconnected. Well, we may feel disconnected from friends at school or or friends in our neighborhood, or, or people we can't play with or be around, or grandparents we can't see face-to-face uh, -face and other things like that. And I know that's hard. But God tells, uh, uh, gives a promise to us through Ezekiel. And he says this. He says, we, I will connect you once again. I will raise you up and connect you once again. Now this board, right, came from those trees. Well, not those ones, but other ones. And it's disconnected. And if I were to ask you, hey, what's this board going to be? You'd probably go, I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? Well, I'm working on something about an hour a day. And I'm going to click over to that here. I'm working on this project over here. Let's see if I can make it come up. I'm working on this project uh, of a uh, chicken coop. So you can see now that all these boards are getting connected together. And it doesn't look like much now, right? And it probably, after that vision, I don't know if God's people felt much in that moment, but eventually they started to get that life and to be reconnected together as God's people. And they came together, and eventually this whole thing is going to come together, and it's going to be a, a beautiful home for some very spoiled chickens <laughs> who are going to give us very spoiled people, hopefully some eggs. It's going to be filled with life again. It's going to become something new. It's not going to be quite like it was before, maybe, but it might be something even better. And that board that I showed you, it's gonna be part of this too. It's gonna to be connected. Just like you're connected to me and you're connected to your parents and you're connected to all the people you're missing right now. Even though you can't be with them, God's spirit tells us that you are indeed connected to one another through God's spirit and in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that you've connected us through your spirit, that you've given us your life, even in the midst of being confused and maybe sometimes afraid and being away from our friends and other people we love. So continue to connect us, continue to fill us with your spirit, give us life, give us ways to help and be part of this whole thing as we come together as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to get out your... Uh, things that your little noisemakers or if you want to just kind of click you know together I've got my keys right here 
And when we hear the reading from Ezekiel today, the reading that this was all about, when we hear that reading today, what I want you to do is I want you to make noise every time you hear the word bones. Like those bones are rattling and they're coming together and God's spirit is filling them and bringing them back to a new kind of life, uh, a new kind of joy and a return to the places that they love and the people that they love. So when you hear that word, those words bones, jiggle the noisemaker and remember that God has you connected not only to God, but also to us as well. Amen. The first reading is from Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. And he said to me, round about as he took me round about them, and behold, there were very many upon the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay down sinew upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And as I looked, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Son of man, say to the breaths, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood among their feet on exceedingly great host. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you home into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O oh, my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, I the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The Gospel of the Lord from John chapter 11. Glory to you, O Lord. Now a certain man from Bozil, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus had heard of it, that he was ill, he said, This illness is not unto death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by means of it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Thus he spoke, and then he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but to go awaken him out of that sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but that they thought that they meant he was taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him while Mary sat in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, he who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying quietly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house 
consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary, when she came where Jesus was and saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he have opened the eyes of the blind? He who opened the eyes of the blind, could he not have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again and came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, and the, Martha the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hast heard me always, but I have said on this account of the people standing, that they may believe that thou dost send me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with bandages, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, here's your subtle lie for the day. Are you ready? This life is full of only hardship and disease and death and war. But someday we will be raised from the dead and everything will be great. Now we live in a completely evil world. Then we will live in this completely wonderful, good afterlife. Now, not all of that is a lie for sure, but the idea that this life is just evil, like some dirt that gets on your perfectly brand new shoes, well, that's a lie. This life is good. It is a gift. It's not a right to live, but it is a privilege. And God's presence in Jesus Christ, this, this life in the Spirit, is for now as much as it is for someday to come. Now, this life is full of sin and death and war, and obviously it's full of disease. No kidding. But, but that's not our only reality. And, and, and most importantly, it's not our ultimate reality. Maybe, maybe kind of the biggest lie in all of this from where we started is, is this, that there's some clear kind of black and white distinction between our life now and our life to come. Life now bad, life to come good. Well, actually, our life right now is both good and bad, full of the, the life we are gifted 
uh, to live in Jesus Christ and saturated at times with loss and with grief, with sin and with death. And it's in this kind of mixture of gray, not black and white, that, that God finds us in Jesus Christ. I'd love to preach on both of our texts today, but that would be hours of time. They're beautiful, wonderful texts. Just kind of sit with them. Read them again, if you will, today. Um, but in, in the story we have from John in our gospel for today, we find Jesus with his disciples, uh, and his life has been threatened. I mean, he's been in great peril with uh, rocks being picked up to stone him to death and all kinds of things that are going on. And so he's kind of moved away from that place and he's with his disciples and Martha and Mary send this desperate message that their brother is very sick and Jesus should come right away. But he responds kind of like, kind of in a way that we wouldn't expect. Like like if we were to call 911 with an emergency and the ambulance were to show up a day or two later and kind of nonchalantly walk to our door. That wouldn't probably sit very well with us, would it? It doesn't sit very well with Martha and Mary either, we can see, as they kind of have a protest against Jesus as he comes. Like, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, I don't know if you're from a family that's, that's used to yelling, maybe in your family history, but maybe you hear it like, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Or maybe you're from more of that passive-aggressive family that's, that's like, you know, I don't want to say it to Jesus' face, but if he'd been here... Lazarus wouldn't have died. Or maybe you're from that guilt and shame family where it's like, you know, Jesus, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Well, I don't know how you hear those words, but they're uh, part of that discussion that Jesus has with Martha when he, when he comes uh, to see her. But let's get back to those disciples for a minute. Jesus is with his disciples and he's kind of He's not really acting on this news and, and he's kind of confusing them about whether Lazarus is asleep or if he's still sick or what's going on. And finally, just Jesus just says plainly, Lazarus is dead and we're, we're going back. And at that, his disciples get pretty nervous. And Jesus becomes kind of this character like, um, like you should have some walk-up music, like the, the slugger on your favorite team that comes up with two outs in the bottom of the ninth or uh, the quarterback that comes in with 30 seconds left, down by six, and he's just the one you want in the game. Jesus is, is like, hey, I don't care what's going on. Um, this is the light of day, and while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world, and I'm doing my work. So Jesus comes back with kind of this bravado, and then again, he's, he's kind of confronted with this question of, where were you? And if you'd been here, if only you'd been here, you could have done something about this. Well, that's part of the conversation, so it seems. But uh, also, another part of this conversation is a little bit of misunderstanding on the part of Martha that maybe gets back a little bit to our original uh, kind of question. Jesus asks Martha uh, if she believes, and she says, Yeah, I believe that my, that my brother will be raised on the last day. It doesn't seem to offer her much comfort, but she has that vision of that, of that someday time when things will be okay again. And she points to that. But she kind of misses the point, it seems, or maybe maybe more accurately, she misses the person, the presence that is there with her. Now, let me clue you into something that many of you probably already know, that whenever you hear Jesus say the words, I am, sit up and pay attention. Now, Jesus could say, I am the best chicken dancer there ever was. Right? Now, the second part of that is obviously kind of nonsense, but 
I am is the name of God, the name given to Moses by God. And it's, and it's really been part of, of, of God's identity ever since. That's why the Pharisees and others freak out when Jesus uses these I am statements. But, but when Jesus says I am in a particular, well, when he says it, he's, he's saying I am God. He's, he's identifying himself as God. But when, when Jesus says that in a particular time and in a particular place, which anytime he says it, he does, it, it's powerful because it says that that I am, God, is here in that particular time and in that particular space. God is here and now and with us. But what comes after that I am statement, thankfully nothing about chicken dancing, um, what comes after that statement is powerful as well. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's what God's presence brings in the here and now. It brings life in the midst of death. Now, what has to be kind of curious here, though, is that Jesus, when he goes to the tomb of Lazarus, he shows grief. He, he weeps, we're told. It's not joy or defiance. The walk-up music seems to be gone. It's inconsolable grief. Now, honestly, that's always confused me a little bit. I mean, doesn't Jesus know what he's going to do? I mean, is this like that the last scene in a Disney movie where you think the dog is dead or the princess is frozen forever, and so you kind of tear up even though you know it's not going to end that way, you know, because this is, well, it's Disney. Well, I don't think that's what's going on here. It seems Jesus weeps and is disturbed in, in a very real way. He's feeling the fullness of the death of a friend. Now, that's not manufactured. That's not a trite thing. And I think it can be a very powerful thing to witness the great I am disturbed and grieving, agonizing over death. There's something visceral and real and connected to the human condition to know that God wrestles with death. And, and it signals to us that that this isn't some magic show that Jesus is putting on, some, some fancy trick so that, that we can kind of take or leave or believe or not believe or just kind of clap our hands and say, wow, that was really cool. This is, this is much deeper than that. It's a primal struggle of good and evil, life and death, not sort of in balance with each other, but fighting for ultimate victory. And calling out Lazarus becomes not just the reanimation of one man, but a sign that God Almighty, the great I Am, who walks among us as this wonderful God-human Jesus, is victorious over the greatest enemy, over the greatest evil that we face. This deepest and most primal evil uh, in our life is defeated in this act, pushed back right before our eyes. You see, it's not just that Lazarus is called out of that tomb and back to life, Death is sent into its own tomb, kind of singed and wounded by this light of Christ. Well, now there seems to be a lot of debate about whether this is a resurrection or just a reanimation of a body. The fact that Lazarus has been dead for four days tells us that he is all the way dead. Now, I can't resist here for all of you um, uh, Princess Bride fans, especially my middle sister, uh, who would want me to say that Jesus can't just, he's not just going up here and saying, well, he's only mostly dead and putting some kind of chocolate pill or concoction into his mouth to, to revive him up. No, he's been dead for four days. That's completely dead. 
starting to smell indeed as we hear. And for all you med students out there, by the way, don't lean forward. I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. And don't lean back if you're not a med student. But uh, suffice it to say that this is a much more uh, real end or dramatic thing than, for example, the centurion's daughter who has just died when Jesus lifts her up. Lazarus is wrapped in the literal cloth of burial and the spices that go with this, with it and, and in the literal endgame grasp of death. But Lazarus's raising is, is different than Jesus' resurrection. You know, lest we think that Lazarus is trying to steal Jesus' thunder a couple of weeks early. No, Lazarus is raised as he is. He's raised in his earthly body, which will and did die again. But what I think is fascinating and significant here is that God's life-giving power in Jesus Christ is for our daily fleshly life right now. I think that's a clear message in this passage. It reaches into the darkest of tombs to places that are painful for God to go, as we can see in Jesus' reaction. And yet they seem to be the very places to which God is drawn. God's power of life in Jesus Christ will be will be seen in a new way on Easter morning for sure, where Jesus seems to be unrecognizable even though he still carries the wounds of his life. But he's also new and he's, he's eternal in, in some way that's not quite recognizable. Our earthly minds can't quite grasp it. But that power also lies within the new life of our tomb-ridden and sin-filled existence right here and now. That new life exists in the suddenly laid-off workers and, and business owners who are maybe having to consider closing. That new life is in the energy that, that, that is, is kind of pumped from God into those frontline workers, those first responders and those, the hospital care workers, nurses and doctors and others. That new life seeks out children and parents that I know our teachers and social workers are worried about because they're in homes that just aren't safe places for them. That new life works in the lives of those on the cutting floor right now of most of our newsrooms, given all of the current events, migrants and refugees, the homeless, and, and others who are just unstable in their mind or in their life. Um, this, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's kind of a helpful aside here um, that the lockdowns and the isolation and uncertainty and even the fear that all of us are experiencing to some degree it really isn't even a taste of what some of our brothers and sisters experience every day. War and famine and displacement and fear of real death over something they can't control. Maybe this kind of small whiff of in our present difficulty will, will build in all of us some kind of a renewed compassion and understanding of the ongoing trauma for those we have the privilege to ignore if we want. Maybe it'll awaken us in some way to to see God's tireless work and God's persistent call to us to help in, in their being set free. But actually, maybe this isn't aside, an aside to this story at all, for it seems that as Jesus works his way towards Lazarus' tomb, he seems intent on helping Mar Martha and Mary to believe, to understand. Now, their belief, to be clear, does not raise Lazarus from the dead, but it seems that belief and new life in Christ kind of go together. Our faith and our connection to God's actions of redemption seem to be linked. Now, this isn't Jesus saying, if you don't believe, I'm not going to do anything. Once you believe enough, then I will save you. No, a thousand times, please, no. 
Jesus' raising of Lazarus does cause our faith to come alive. Like, wow, oh yeah, I believe. But it also takes faith to see the depth and to see clearly the depth of what Jesus has done. And by seeing that, to really understand who he is and how he acts right now in this day. It kind of makes me think of that famous Albert Einstein quote where he says, there are only two ways to live your life. One, as though nothing is a miracle. The other, as though everything is a miracle. Jesus' action is fantastic, but it's also consistent with God's action in our everyday good and grace-filled lives. There's one more nail out of this coffin. <laughs> one last shred of burial cloth to kind of strip away, maybe from the face of Lazarus today. When Jesus stands outside of Lazarus' tomb, we see that he weeps and that he's distraught, and it says that he's also troubled in spirit. But that phrase, troubled in spirit, is kind of a, a difficult translation of the original word because the original word used there means to be angry. And it's kind of a defiant anger. Now, if we think that our belief, again, conjures up God's mercy like some kind of trick, we may think that Jesus is angry at the sisters or angry at the mourners or even his disciples for their lack of faith and understanding. But it's pretty clear here that that's not the case. Rather, Jesus seems angry. His anger seems to be directed towards death itself. I like how commentator Robert Kaiser puts it. He says, Jesus' tortured emotions are those of the Father moved by the ravaging of humanity by pain and death. The passionate God of the Christian faith suffers when his creation suffers. Now here Jesus turns on death in this defiant, your reign is at an end kind of anger. And he does that on behalf of the ones, those who are gathered there that day, and you and me, and frankly, anyone who's ever been born. He turns to fight. Now, this is pretty key, lest we kind of think God's approach to evil, to sin and death, to all of the powers that might destroy us, that God's approach to that is just sort of like a, a soft bunny or a warm blanket, kind of passively snuggling us through the storm. No, the fullness of God's passion and compassion are all, both in the mix. The fire of God kindled against that which pains us and pains our world. Again, it paints a very human picture of Jesus who is sad and angry and distraught at his friend's death, very much like I would be or you would be. But he is also a window into the heart of a God whose fire burns hot against his beloved children's enemies, whether it be a tiny little virus or a great and unjust army. This is what we are called to see by faith. And by seeing this, this is who we're called to follow. And this is the kingdom we are called to live in and to work in and to breathe in right here and right now in this beautiful, wonderful, grace-filled life. Amen. Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. My Jesus is the rock in the weary land, a shelter in a time of storm. Jesus is the rock in a weary
encourage you to share the piece um, via Facebook chat if you're watching on Facebook or if you've got a few other people in your household, you can share the piece with them. Sunny side of life. 
Lord, your mercy. Hear, Hear our prayer. Gather all our prayers and shower us with all the gifts you so love to give. Your peace, your grace, your forgiveness, your healing, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We join in the prayer our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Be sent forth with God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.
grace-filled and spirit-led, abide in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.